0: So we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. And a huge, I might as well be part of the message because I really do believe that one of the major arcs, one of the major themes of the book of Revelation is the, it's the proclamation of the gospel. It's the proclamation of who Jesus is. Now, sitting in kind of history a little bit as we get into the text this morning, I mentioned last week as we finished chapter one that we'd back up a little bit and look at verse 19. So, chapter one, verse 19 provides this outline. Now, for me, again, history—I remember this was in 2002. I just read through the Bible for the first time, and after I finished reading the Bible, I didn't know what to do next. I got—I was—I was bored. I didn't have the next direction. And the Lord led me to to search out just teachers. So I I got on the internet and started looking for people, Bible teachers online, locked into a couple. And one of them I really started listening to. His name is John Corson. So he's a pastor, Applegate Christian Fellowship in Medford, Oregon. Um, John has a very, he's a great Bible teacher, specific voice, lots of laughter, lots of joy, lots of puns, total dork. Um, but this is a guy that I listened to for years as i 'm sitting there i 'm an accountant outside of the church, so it's me and the computer, and I get to put on earphones and I can listen to whatever I want to listen to and still be able to perform my job. And this guy provided a lot of uh, just that foundational instructional teaching in regards to just going through the word verse by verse i didn 't know that this I knew nothing about Calvary chapels listened to him for about six months and For my story, it was, gee, I wonder if there's a Calvary in Salt Lake. And there was. And kind of the rest is history, and here we are today. I bring John up because every time I step into Revelation, I hear his voice. And he says, Revelation is not a hard book to understand. And everybody giggles and laughs because that's how he introduces every single teaching to the book of Revelation. And the idea is he comes to this outline in verse 1, chapter 19. No, I said that wrong. Chapter 1, verse 19. So Jesus is giving to John this, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So this provides really an outline and a structure to this entire prophecy in Revelation. John, I want you, this is, and this is out of the mouth of Jesus, I want you to write the things that are. Present tense, right? We talked about present, past, and future multiple times. As Jesus is declaring, I am he who is, who was, and who is to come. So these same ideas. But when you look at interpretation of just uh, this outline in Revelation, write the things that are, which are. The things that he has just seen in regards to well, sorry, write the things that you have seen. So past tense, this interaction that he just had with Jesus. Write the things which are. This is the present tense. And we're really gonna sit in chapters two and three as this is the things which are, and we'll step into further definition as we get into these chapters this morning. Then what you get at chapter five or four, rather, the things which are, the things that are gonna take place after this now, so these are things that are in the future. There's a predictive, prophetic nature to them is what this outline is sitting in. So when you have that as a background, as a platform, we'll continue to engage in it as we go through this prophecy. Because when you step into chapter 6, it can be a hard book to understand. Some of the imagery can be really confusing. There's a lot of different ideas out there. Um, So, It can be hard to understand, but it ought not to be hard to understand when we just keep things in their proper perspective. And the proper perspective is always going to be Jesus. So last week, last couple weeks, just that introduction in chapter one, our attention and, you know, sermon titled Jesus, because here's the revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is and his nature and his character. As John turned around and looked at the voice that was speaking to him in chapter one, he sees a vision of the glorified exalted resurrected Jesus our savior so when we often when we approach Jesus we want to sit with the Jesus of the gospels that's who he was at a point in time in history as a man in the flesh sent by god for a very specific mission and purpose right But today, as we sit in a relationship with Jesus, we're not sitting in this historical human figure. Our God, our Jesus, is glorified and exalted, seated on the right hand of the Almighty Father in heaven right now. So the perspective that we ought to have of him needs to be in line with how he has revealed himself to be right now. And the imagery that he gives is priestly imagery, is the imagery of a judge, is the imagery of a king, the imagery of a savior. We see all of this imagery as he presents himself, as he reveals himself and manifests himself to John. So when John writes the things that he has seen and he communicates that information, Jesus is giving us a foundation for how we as Jesus people are to engage with him. So the next couple of chapters, chapter 2 and 3, it'll probably take us three weeks to go through these these letters to the churches, but it's all in, it's Jesus' words to his people. And he has words that are words of praise. He has words that he is addressing the problems that he has with his people. He has words that he is... uh, of promise to those who continue to engage in him in spirit and in truth. So when G- Jesus gives these words to John, right, the things that are, that which you have seen, we need to keep Revelation 1 as that foundation and that platform of who it is that we're talking about. The things which are as we step into the churches, this present tense. So right now we're still in what we call the church age. Jesus has ascended to heaven, and as believers, all of humanity, we are waiting for him to come, which is a future event that we see in Revelation 19. So in this present age, in this church age, the things which are these letters that Jesus has to communicate to his churches, there's something for all of us to learn and apply as, as he speaks. So one we need to sit in. And we're going to do this lightly. So when you look at all the different churches. So we're going to cover uh, Ephesus and Smyrna this morning. These are two historical locations. That there are real congregations. Uh, in these communities. At the time that Jesus is giving this information to John. For John to send this information to these congregations. So, one of the things that I want us to break out of, though, is to realize that there... So, as we look at Ephesus this morning, there wasn't just one church in Ephesus. But when Jesus addresses this community, he's addressing the community as a whole. So, as we sit in Alpharetta, where we're located right here, at least by address halfway between Alpharetta and coming, but as we sit in this community, we have the imagination that when Jesus is communicating this information to Ephesus, he's not just communicating to a singular congregation, singular leadership of the congregations, he's communicating to the community as a whole. So when we look at Smyrna, Smyrna is about 35 miles directly to the north of where Ephesus is. So for us in our metropolitan community, it's like a drive to the airport. So if the airport is Ephesus and we're thirty-five miles to the north up here and this is this is Smyrna, that's how far separated you have to think that these communities are. And in those communities they had they have very distinct personalities, culture. And in each one of those communities, you're going to have a mixture, truly, of all, all personalities of life. You look, at, you look at the spectrum of human beings in this room right now. We have many similarities, and we have many areas in life where we're different. As we sit in Jesus communicating to these churches, and we, want, we have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say... Jesus, what are you speaking to me individually? And what are you speaking to us as a local congregation in this community? And we can't paint anybody with a broad brush. Like, we can't just sit there and say, we are for sure the church of Philadelphia. Some of us, that that may be the exact words that you need to hear from Jesus is the exhortation that he gives to Philadelphia. Others, you need to sit in Laodicea. Others, it might be Smyrna. So there's these ideas as we sit in the interpretation that all these letters, they were written to real historical churches that had real human beings and a real culture and real issues as Jesus is addressing them. So these were words that he was speaking specifically to them in history. There is also at the same time that application. He says, anybody that's got an ear, if you can hear, if you can read, then these words are for you also to sit in. And Lord, what is it that you are speaking to me, and what is it that you're speaking to us? So with that as background, let's read through this first letter to Ephesus. So chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus is saying to John, to the angel, which this is uh, the Greek word, uh, <laughs> that's translated almost every time as an angel. In a few places, it's uh, translated as a messenger. It seems that Jesus is communicating this writing is to go to that mouthpiece of him to the community. Who's going to take this message to the community? Whether it's you know, an apostle, whether it's an evangelist, whether it's a prophet, whether it's a pastor-teacher, Here there's somebody specifically or a group of individuals specifically that are to take this word and to speak it into the community because If it is an angel on that spiritual plane, the flow of authority here would go from God the Father, gave this to Jesus, who gave it to his angel to signify it to John, and now John as a human being is going to turn around and go and communicate this to a spiritual angel. To me, that doesn't make sense. It makes sense that he's given it to the messenger or messengers of the community, which It's my role this morning. So to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, foundation, again, as we remember chapter 1, the, how Jesus reveals himself. He takes a piece of that revelation of himself as he addresses each one of the churches. And that piece that he uses to identify himself usually has something to do with the subject matter of what's going on in that congregation. So where he says he is the one who holds the seven stars, these are the angels of the churches, right? The messengers of the churches in his right hand. That right hand is always this image of protection. It's an image of authority. It's the image of blessing of what his right hand represents. And he is the one who is walking in the midst of these lampstands, again, that he identified as the churches themselves. We talked about this last week, the imagery that we are to shine as the body of Christ. And Jesus is in the midst of these lampstands. So it's sitting first in that image and that revelation of who's speaking. And when we are in the right mind and remembrance of who Jesus Christ is in in all of his glory, we need to have a little bit of pause, a little bit of respect, some deep uh, attention, and asking of him, Lord, what are you saying? Just think about that. These are what Jesus chose to communicate to these specific congregations. And these are the words that Jesus chose to remain for all of these years, for every single believer in him who has access to his word, to hear these words and to press into them. These were his last words, so to say, that were to be written down. And if you were sitting down writing your last words to your loved ones, you're not going to beat around the bush. You're going to be pretty direct. You're going to be filled with truth. You're going to be filled with love. And those words for you, if you were able to right now pin down words, your last words to those that you love, they would be the most important things to you. So when you listen to these words, listen to, listen to his knowledge. Jesus right now in our midst, he says, I know you. And look, at, look how cool this church is. Not this one, this one. This is a grade A church. They get a solid 90%. They're working. And the idea for work, it's, it's this, it's, it's the activity of our life. What do you do with your energy is the idea of work. He says, I know your works. And then I know your labor. The word labor, it's your toil. That's what, you know, what you're sweating at. And in regards to the word toil, he later on says, you haven't become weary. How many of you have gotten a little bit weary of serving Jesus or serving Jesus as people? It's easy to get weary when we get our eyes off of him. It's easy to get weary when our eyes are on him. We need to go to bed tired every single night. It keeps us out of trouble. But again, the, the toil, it's not, some, it's not this heavy burden, and it's not this head trip. It's here's what the Lord has placed into your hand, and there's an energy that's associated with it, and there's a toiling that's associated with it. Jesus is telling this congregation, I know it. I know your patience, your steadfastness, your endurance. You know, it's awesome. We do the same thing. We're not going to bear with those who are evil. You know, we're not, we're not going to, we are going to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ to those who are abiding in evil. We're going to proclaim his love for them and his salvation and the freedom that he provides to come out of that lifestyle, whatever it may be. But we're not going to allow an evil person to come in and uh, promote that evil behavior. We test those things. This congregation tested those things, tested the apostles, those who came in and said, I have been sent by the Lord, claiming to be apostles. And we have instruction in the word of God to test those words. Are there, is that really from God or is that just man stuff? And here in this congregation, in this community, they've had apostles, false ones, come into the community And rather than just receiving it because it tastes good and it sounds good, this community stood on the truth of God's word and says, no, that is false. You are a liar, and you're not allowed to come in among us and preach those lies. It's awesome. Don't you think? they have persevered, which means when... You know, there's been hardships, there's been hurdles, there's been roadblocks as they've um, turned to Jesus, as they've followed Jesus, and as they've proclaimed Jesus in this community. This congregation, this group of congregations, they've persevered. They have patience and endurance they labor not for their namesake not for the name of their church not for the name of a man or woman but for the name of jesus and they haven't become weary solid a and again when i when i sit in our congregation i think in many ways we get a solid a now let's talk about church shopping a little bit so what are you what are your qualifications that you have in your mind and your heart for a church that you want to be a part of most of us, to one degree or another, we've had to do what we call, you know, church shopping, or you move into a new community, and you want to find where the Lord is calling you to fellowship. Or you've had issues with the congregation that you're part of, whatever those may be, and you feel that the Lord is leading you out of there, and you don't know where, and you're going here, and you're going there. What are the, what are the list of things that you're looking for in what we call the church in America? You got your list? I have my list. Chris just held up the Bible. I could almost, I don't care what the parking lot looks like. I don't care what the people look like. I don't care what the building looks like. I don't care how the worship sounds. If somebody is teaching the word of God, I'm there with you. If somebody, if somebody is there just giving a, we call them sermonettes for Christianettes, where it's just some self-help kind of thing, and we're going to go through this series that you can go grab off the shelf of a Barnes & Noble. For me, in my personality, I that's not, that's not me. That's, that's not what I think we should gather for. Um, but what are, what are the different lists? Again, uh, one, a big thing is size. In America, we think about what's the size of the congregation? Some people want a small church. Some people want a medium church. Some people want the mega church. And each one of those has its issues. The small church is always trying to be the big church. The big church is always trying to make their big church small so that they can connect people together. How about what the building looks like? Some people want a little building with a little steeple. Some people could care less what the building looks like. Hello, welcome to the tin box. Some people want the cathedral. They want the historical majesty of what people have built for God. How about programs? Does the Bible have anything to say about children's ministry, youth ministry, single ministry, adult ministry, senior ministry, worship ministry, technical ministry? What else have we got? Usher ministry, parking ministry, security ministry. We add ministry to all these different tasks that are necessary to perform as we gather as a body. So, some of you are very instrument and acoustic and auditory minded. Where if the band is off and you're going like this, there's no way that you're going to worship God because you can't get off that sour note. Me, I could care less. It's just my thing. I close my eyes. I don't care if the lyrics are all messed up on the board or I don't care if I know the song or not. If I don't know the song, my eyes are still closed. I'm listening. What is this saying about God and how am I in agreement? Allowing that to minister to me and allowing my heart to respond to God. So we go through all of our list of qualifications of is this congregation worthy for me to attend, yes or no? And that's usually our heart here in America because we have so many options. None of that list that I just went through has anything to do with Jesus' list for his people. The church in Ephesus, they had it. They were working, they were toiling, they were testing, they had the right doctrine, good group of people, they're persevering, it's for Jesus' name's sake, nobody else's name's sake. But the one who has the stars in his right hand, the one who is standing in the midst of the church, says, I have this against you, you left your first love. And we sit in Paul's letter to Ephesus in chapter 115 of Ephesians. It says, when I heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for the saints... I I couldn't stop giving thanks to God for you and praying that you'd grow and all that. So when Paul is writing this letter to this church, he's praising them for their love, thanking God for their love for one another. When Jesus is addressing this church, down the road, probably second generation of believers, they've left it though. There's there's a, when we sit in our relationships of of different, we're only going to get through Ephesus. This is going to take us seven weeks, not three weeks. You're welcome. (laughs) I love the word of God. I love what he has to say. And there's a lot to sit in here and learn. But who do you love? I love people. I really do. I like strangers. I like getting to know people. I like their perspectives and their understanding. I love meeting people from different cultures. It's fascinating to me. I love them. I love you. this This is my church home. This is my family. I love getting to know you. I love your histories. I love your perspectives. I love your goofiness. I love that you're different from me. I love how you challenge me. I love how you sharpen me. I love you. I love my kids. Where's my daughter? All the way back there in the back of grandpa. I love my children in a way that forget you all. In comparison, right? I love my dad. My mom. I love my in-laws. I love my wife to the exclusion of every woman in this world. I love Jesus to the exclusion of even my wife. Jesus tells us in, in the Gospels again, our love for Him is to be first. So what, what does first mean? Is it, is it first in, in line, in a series, like he was your very first love? Or is it first as in prominence? And I think you can sit in both, but I really think this, this first is in prominence. Because not only does he talk about first love, he talks about first works. So when you talk about the love and adoration that we ought to have for God... It is to be the preeminent love of life. That even if your spouse says, hey, let's go over here, you would say, no, because Jesus is my first love. And how awesome it is to be able to walk in love with Jesus with a spouse who loves him too. Can't imagine otherwise. But here, this this leaving of the love, it is a, so in your spousal relationship, in the the most preeminent love relationship that you have in this life, whatever that may be, whatever that relationship is, imagine intentionally, on purpose, letting go of it. Because when you love somebody, you take that person to you. You're participating in their life. You're supporting them. You're encouraging them. So when you leave that love, it's you have just untied yourself. You've loosed yourself. You've dismissed this person from your presence. And that's this idea. So even though this church in Ephesus, they have they got a grade A on all the other stuff. But when it it comes to them and Jesus, that love, that passion, that relationship, it has been divorced. I mean, that's what divorce means. There's a a separation. There is a leaving, a letting go for a secondary love, for a lesser love, is it? the love of people? Is it the love of doctrine? Is it the love of programs? Is it the love of self? We're not told what they replaced it with, and I'm sure, again, as you talk to the masses of the individuals that are involved, again, how many believers is he addressing in Ephesus? Is it 10 people? 100? 1,000? 10,000? 100,000? I'm not sure what the population of believers was at that time. But the warning that he's speaking to them, and the warning that he's speaking to us, is have you untied yourself from love? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments hang from that. And it is when we choose. Again, this, this is a choice. We all drift. We get stupid sometimes. We get forgetful. But there is not a losing of this love. It's an intentional choice. In a human relationship, you can intentionally choose to ignore the person that you say that you love. It's a choice. You can intentionally choose to not engage with your Savior in the way that he tells you that you must engage with him. No, I don't want to do it Jesus' way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my culture's way. That's, that's a choice. That's the that's leaving of it. So the exhortation that Jesus gives to this church is what? The first thing, it's a, it's a direct imperative. Remember. Remember me. Have I not told you who I am? Have I not demonstrated to you not only in the pages of the Bible but in your life that I love you. Don't you remember when I did this? Don't you remember when I helped you here? Don't you remember this provision? Don't you remember when you asked this and here's how I responded? Didn't you set up some memorial stones? Didn't you you write this down? Don't you remember who I am? Remember. Maybe you've never been exposed to Him. Maybe you're early and young in your relationship with Him. Talk to people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time. It's easy to forget. It's easy to forget who He is and what He's done as we listen to other voices. So his direct imperative to us, to this congregation, remember. And he said, remember from where you've fallen. Remember the heights where we used to, what did you come to Jesus for in the first place? I came to Jesus because I was an utter wretch, dead in my sins, and I knew it was going nowhere. And he saved me, and he untied me, and he changed me. And he's still doing it today. So why on this God's earth do I forget all that he has done for me? Sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and, Blake, you're an idiot. When I get the pity party, when I get just about the programs, well, Lord, look at all that I'm doing for your name's sake. I've got a 90% over here, so leave me alone. I can feel it. When I cool towards Jesus, I feel it in my worship. I feel it in how, if I'm just approaching this as, you know, just words and stories, or if I'm, Lord, what is it? This is your voice. I feel it. Remember from where you've fallen. Second imperative is repent. And I love this word. I really do. Because it's not a finger in your chest or a fist in your chest. You hear your Savior whisper to you, sometimes yell at you, change your mind. Change your mind. Sometimes we need different things. That's what repent means. We get stuck and locked in some system of thinking that has nothing to do with him. And our Savior comes to us and says, repent, turn away from yourself, turn away from this world, turn away from others, from the devil, from these lies, from these opinions, from everybody else's definition, and turn to me. Remember me. Look at me. Listen to me. Spend time with me. Know me. Your life is my life, he says. Remember, repent, and here's the new word that I love that's all over the place. Do it. Do the first works. And this word do, again, it's, it's, it's what is being made of your life, what you were producing. Jesus is the maker of our life. He has produced us. He is bringing about his produce, his yield, his fruit, his love, his nature, his character. But we have to submit to the process. Again, faith and works, they're they're always in tandem together. There's, There's never a separation. We can't put love over here in this box and work over works over here in that box. Faith and works are always together. Because the things that we do, they're motivated and sourced out of our relationship with him. If they're not, then we're just, you know, in some little legalistic head trip and we're lying to ourselves and fooling ourselves. So look, look at, again, look at the overarching thing that Jesus is stepping into this community as the glorified God. He says, here's my words to you. I know you. I'm here. You're getting after it. You've got the right doctrine. You hate those Nicolaitans. We'll talk about them when we get into a different letter because we don't know that much about them. You're persevering. You're patient. You're doing all that you're doing for my name's sake. Remember me. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've promised. Remember that I'm in your midst. Remember that I've promised that as you seek me, you will find me. As you follow me, I will lead you. Remember me let me change your mind you intentionally choose to turn away from what you have going on and you know what it is and you choose to turn and repent and come to jesus if there's confession if there's lord you know what's going on We already said in 1 John, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness as we come to Him in repentance and confession. And then there's this do it, not out of your self effort, but as He leads you, as He directs you. He promises to empower. So even if that makes you nervous, even if that makes you uncomfortable, if you hear the Spirit of God directing you to do something, why on earth do we tell God no? I don't know. Cause I'm just as foolish as you sometimes. Those first works. And again, if the definition of first love is that preeminence, I believe that the definition of these first works, it's not doing those works that you did in the beginning in a series of time. I believe it's what, what, is, the, what is the focus? What are the preeminent priority things that God wants you to do? And we can go through a list, but I've given you enough lists. The warning, if you don't, I don't, sit in this. Jesus is the one who's standing in the midst of the lampstands. If you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Not that he leaves, but that he removes the church. Can you imagine that? I mean, have you seen those, you know, especially in like a a formal tradition where you got the little cup that you put over the light to put it out rather than blowing it? Can you imagine Jesus walking into this congregation and having that rod, so to say, with a little bell over it and just put it over our light and it go out? Can you imagine? If you don't want that, then we all repent together. And there's a promise. He who overcomes, and again, this isn't... This is, he is the one who has overcome the world. He is the one who has overcome sin and the devil and the flesh and this world. It's his victory. He is the conqueror. And as we come to him, we have this promise that he's going to give to us to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And there's all these three, you You've got to go sit back in the definition of what happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they fell They left their first love, Adam and Eve. What did God remove from them? Sent them out of the paradise, sent them out of the garden, blocked the way so that they could not eat from this tree of life. And now here God in his redemption and restoration and his promise, he is inviting every single human being that he is created, that he died for their sins, I want you to come, and I want you to eat of this fruit. I've limited your access to it. I've removed your access to it because of your sin. And now that your sin has been dealt with through me and that you come to me in faith, his constant call is come. My call to you every single week is come. Come in your tears. Come in your triumphs. Come in your service. Come in your strength. Come in your weakness. Come. Remember his body. Remember his blood. Worship. For some of you that have never placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your king, as your priest, as your God, as your only hope, come. There's nothing hindering you other than you. If you've been messing around and you've abandoned your love, you know, you know, I know. If you untied yourself from your love for Jesus, remember who he is. Repent right now and come to him and let him help you do those priority things that he has for you in your life. Come. As we go out of here, that's the the declaration and the proclamation. Come to Jesus, everybody. Give us those opportunities, Lord. So, Father, boy, do we love you. And we really do love your word. It's always a, a sobering thing to me in all of its grandeur. Lord, I love your gentleness of how you... How you speak to my life when I'm out of sorts in different ways. As we just sit in this singular letter to this church. I'm asking, Lord, that you would not help us to go digging where there's no place to dig. Lord for those that are in that position where they are in right relationship with you that this would be a moment of praise and just gratitude that they'd be praying for their brothers and sisters who are not in that same position I'm asking Lord for those that have intentionally untied themselves from you who have intentionally left you dismissed you from different areas of their life, that they would hear the voice of your spirit right now and all of your power and all of your love and all of your truth, that they would hear you. And Lord, that this would be a moment of, of repentance, of turning away from that and seeking you for cleansing And seeking you for help. To be victorious in you. In loving you. We know the commands, Lord. We know the command to love you. We know the command to love each other. As a gathering of those who believe in you. We stand in agreement with that. We acknowledge that. We desire that. And we confess to you, we don't find it in ourselves to fulfill that, Lord. So may you change us and transform us according to your promise. May we follow you individually. May we follow you corporately. And in that following, Lord, we'll trust that you will give us the ability to do the right works, that our energy would be used, Lord, in the right areas. That we would submit to that process of you making our lives into the image of your life. We trust you, we hope in you, we're confident in you, we come to you, we receive you, we honor you. Keep before us that image that you are in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray.